0: the vicinity of the northern part of the lake or sea of Galilee as it's sometimes called Uh, Luke called it Lake Gennesaret Uh, it's a freshwater lake but Jesus has having been rejected in his hometown is now beginning to do miracles and authoritative teaching in the various cities around the northern part of the sea of Galilee And we pick up today's scripture reading, Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 26. Please follow along uh, on the screen or in your Bibles or on your favorite app uh, that will let you do so. But whatever way you are accessing, remember, this is the word of the living God. Hear it with careful attention. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, The leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go, and show yourself to the priest, and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed from their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a, bed, a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said man your sins are forgiven you and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying who is this who speaks blasphemies who can forgive sins but god alone and when jesus perceived their thoughts he answered them why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the man Who was paralyzed. I say to you. Rise. Pick up your bed. And go home. And immediately. He rose up before them. And picked up. What he had been lying on. And went home. Glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. The grass withers, flower fades, but God's word will always remain. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Once again, Father, we we cannot come to this task trying to read and understand and apply your word without the help of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Ascended Christ, who brought on this text through Luke so that we could understand what he is doing in your kingdom, advancing and spreading it. Father, will you help us now to understand And receive it with meekness and appreciation. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Still today, people call them the untouchables. No, I'm not talking about Elliot Ness and his boys. Not those untouchables. I'm talking about The untouchables that are members of the lowest class of Hindu community. They are the ultimate outcasts, the real untouchables. They spend their entire lives outside of the socially acceptable relationships of Indian society. They're ostracized, they're shunned, and they're insulated and kept apart of ordinary life for others. And these untouchables are physically and ceremonially unclean, and they're compelled to do some of the nastiest, most defiling jobs that are defined in Hindu law. 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth once met a man who was equally untouchable because he was eaten up. Luke says, full of leprosy. And that made him, in his culture and time, ceremonially unclean, according to the law of Moses. Moses. And even when it was not deadly, which it often was after a lot of suffering in those days and at that time, even when it wasn't deadly, leprosy was a dreadful, horrible disease. The sufferer became repulsive to him or her self, and to others. And the only defense against it was quarantine, being shut off from society and culture and having to cry, unclean, unclean, everywhere they went when they came even remotely in contact with other people. It was a living death in so many ways. Well, today, we're going to be looking at the healer in our text that we read this morning. And the outline is for the healer goes like this. Healing hands, helping friends, and hateful Enemies. Let's dig in. Let's look at the healing hands. Of course, those healing hands are those of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke says that Jesus' encounter with the leper took place in a certain city. Now, we know Jesus is in and around the Sea of Galilee, probably the northern part more, uh, northern to northern westerly, or maybe even a little bit uh, to the to the east, but in that in that area, there were a number of synagogues and towns because of the great fishing that was going on on the Lake of Galilee at that time and it was probably where he, Luke does not tell us which one and where he is, but I think we can make a good guess. And maybe considering Chorazin or Bethsaida. Why? Because these cities were some of the ones in which it's recorded in the Gospels that Christ did much of his mighty working. So it might have been because later Jesus will condemn them because if Of all the things that had been done in their city. And yet, there was still great unbelief. Now, according to Luke's account, as I said, he said the man, this leper, was full of leprosy. He didn't just have a a light touch of eczema or something like that. It would not be what can be managed today. This was, again, he was absolutely covered with leprosy and cut off from his society and his family. And yet, according to Luke's account, this man that is full of leprosy, all of a sudden, instead of staying away where he's supposed to be, ostracized and quarantined far, far away, somehow, he is so desperate, he ends up right in the middle of where Jesus is teaching. And he falls down at Jesus' feet, begging him, like a ghost out of nowhere. There he is. And he falls at Jesus' feet saying, Lord If you will, you can make me clean. What an amazing act of faith. Knowing full well that he was despised. How he even got in there to get to Jesus before he was tossed out. And yet, he says, I know you can do this, Jesus. If you're only willing. Then Jesus does something totally, totally amazing and unexpected. He reaches out and touches the leper. You don't touch lepers. You stay as far away from them. Not six feet, way, way far away from them. Touching a leper was forbidden. It simply wasn't done. Physical and spiritual uncleanness was contagious. You weren't just physically corrupted. You were spiritually. You couldn't go to worship. And yet, this man boldly, audaciously, falls before Jesus' feet and says, you can make me whole if you only will. And yet then Jesus reaches out and touches him. you imagine what that must have felt like? How long had it been? Had this man been touched by another human being? And while holding on to him, Jesus said, I will. I will do it. Be clean. And immediately, he was healed. You're talking about knocking some people off their rocking chair. Some people, what? Just, just, you know, two minutes ago, this guy was... Eaten up with leprosy. White does the wind-driven snow. Now. You see, normally, when something clean, this is true of, of the ceremonial law and the law of Moses, All a lot of those books in the, in the Pentateuch are about, Cleanness and being holy and being clean and normally something that is clean when it touches something unclean guess what gets defiled the clean gets brought into the category of the defiled of the unclean but now not with Jesus here For the first time in history, things ran in the other direction as the cleanness of Jesus cleansed the unclean leopard, And in a a way, it's an indication of the new world. Another tiny mark that the new world that Jesus is bringing is here in your midst. This is the kind of thing that Jesus would bring, that the Messiah would bring when he comes. And he's here. He said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. I'm the king. And he's here showing through this healing that he is the king bringing a new world. At hand, and death and uncleanness have no game. They have no match. They cannot be overwhelming his kingdom. Now, secondly, we notice there's another story that's going to involve Jesus' healing. That's in verses 17 through 20. And that's what we could call helping friends. Now, wherever that first healing happened, we don't know for sure, but like say, Bethsaida, uh likely. But wherever th- that happened, we have a better guess of where Jesus was. Luke says, it's after another time. He says, and on one of those days, so it's not the same day, but it's another day. May not be too far between them. But wherever it was, I think it likely was Capernaum. They was back in, in Capernaum, in headquarters, back maybe in Peter's house. Because Mark, in nine chapter 9, verse 1, tells us he went back to his own home. And that's where Jesus, he didn't have a home. He'd been kicked out of his. He didn't have a home. What was that? That, was, that would have been Peter's home. Or one of the other disciples that was taking him in. Now, not only were the people listening to Jesus, but there were some other folks there, some other distinguished folks that were very, very curious about what this young upstart rabbi from this backwater region of Galilee, and yet they are hearing all kinds of, of things that he's doing and the healings that he's doing and the authority that he speaks with. And so they have deigned to come and see for themselves. Of course, I'm talking about the religious leaders of that day, the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, people were listening, but so were the Pharisees and the scribes. From near and far, they had come all the way from as far as Jerusalem, 70 miles, long, long journey, several days journey. They would come up here because they were hearing reports and they couldn't, they couldn't imagine. And yet that day Jesus was teaching. And when his lesson was interrupted by a scraping sound in the house above him in the roof. And, as you know, enterprising friends of a paralyzed man have climbed up on the roof because they can't get in to see Jesus. It's too crowded. There's too many people. The press, we've already been hearing about that and learning about that in the last few weeks. It's so great. There's no way to get into Jesus. So, they take it upstairs. <laughs> Literally. They take it upstairs, and they start tearing the tiles in order to lower the man down on his stretcher. Him on his stretcher, and they drop him right in front of Jesus. Now, the act of letting a friend down through the roof was an unusual demonstration of faith. That's not normally how we do it. We don't go to the local hospital and tear, start tearing away with jackhammers and stuff uh, and to try to drop people into a place to get healing. That's not how it normally works. But that day it did. And you know what? It impressed the Savior. We know because of what Jesus says next. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, he's not just seeing the, the paralyzed man's faith. He does say to him, friend, calls him friend. But he sees there his friend's faith. Their faith that they have that Jesus can heal their helpless friend. And yet, it's what he said after that. After the friend, your sins, talking to that man, that paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you think at that point, everybody was going, oh, oh." oh, hey, hey, just forgave somebody's sins. No, it would have been like, catch me. What? You c- no. Who knows what all the reaction, but it would have been an incredible uproar. And for a certain group of people that were there that I've already told you about, some of them had come a long way. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were not They were astonished, all right. They were angry. They were outraged because of what this backwoods rabbi daring to claim that he had authority to forgive sin. Now notice that Jesus says nothing about the man's legs or his paralysis. That doesn't seem to be Jesus' priority. He focused on the man's soul because Jesus knew what the greatest problem that this man had. Even though he is being, for all his life, This man has been paralyzed, or we don't know for sure whether it was all his life or if it was an onset, but whatever. He was paralyzed and had been for so long. And yet, this man, Jesus is concerned about his soul. And therefore, he forgives him his sins. Jesus knows that's the greatest need of that man and every other man, woman, boy, and girl that ever walks this planet. It is not to have all their fingers and toes intact. God sometimes takes care of those things. Obviously, Jesus is doing a lot of healing, but Jesus knows the healing is not the main point. The point is to bring Jesus to be able to do the greatest work of forgiveness. You see, nothing, notice that Jesus, like I said, nothing about his legs, his paralysis, but he focuses on his sins. Our main need is not physical healing. Better to limp into heaven than run into hell, someone said. Better to limp into heaven rather than to run into hell. In other words, you think your problems are are your physical problems? No. If you don't have your sins forgiven and you face a holy God without your sins being forgiven... That is a far, far greater. Your life, your body here means nothing. Jesus understood that. Our main need is spiritual forgiveness. And so Jesus gave it. Gave it right there in the midst of all these teachers of the law. Now, the last part of the message this morning is I'm calling hateful enemies. And you may think I'm over-exaggerating a little bit. I don't think so. Verses 21 through 26 show us something about malevolence, something about opposition to the kingdom that Jesus was bringing. You see, the common people, though, Ultimately, at the last, uh, in verse 26, listen again what it says. And amazement sees them all, and they glorify God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. The common people, as it usually was, at least up at this point in time, I will find later on, they even begin to turn on Jesus. When Jesus gets closer and closer to go, where he is going, to Jerusalem. But for now, it's they that are excited about Jesus. They are amazed. They're they're awestruck. But not most of the religious leaders. You see, listen again to verse 26. Or excuse me, verses 21 through 22. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees were watching Jesus like a hawk. And they had suspicious eyes to boot. They had suspicious eyes to boot. They were not just passive observers. They were threatened enemies. They were threatened. Jesus Was they could sense it already. He was uh, shaking up the apple cart. He was bringing in things that they could not understand and they were opposed to. They were the keepers, they were the guardians. It's just like what happens in entrenched, any entrenched bureaucracy ultimately becomes self protecting and. And often violent against anything that threatens that. That's what was happening here. Listen to verses 21 and 22 of our text. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? They've already decided. They've already had the trial. They don't need need a trial. They've already had it. And and the judge and the jury's already pounded the gavel guilty. They've already, already called him. Who can forgive sin but God? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, there's the real point, their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? You're not coming here with good intentions. You're not here to help these people. You're here to make sure I know you. I know I can read you like a book. You're all about you. Jesus knew, and it wasn't a pretty picture in their hearts When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, they went apoplectic. Hey, you can't do that. How dare you? They said Jesus blasphemed by claiming to do what only God can do. Now, there is a point to what they just said. That is true. Are half true. They're right. <laughs> no one can forgive sins but God. What they knew is that only God can forgive sins. That part they were right. But what they did not know is that Jesus is God. Therefore, he can forgive sins and heal all forms of diseases. And yet, here's why I say they're enemies. They weren't just somehow didn't have enough information. And we're just a little bit puzzled and skeptical. No, as we will see as you go on, they become more and more bold and more and more direct in their opposition to Jesus and trying to get rid of him. You see, even when they do not know, most of them will not believe. They saw the miracle in front of them. And when Jesus went on to say, so that you know that I have authority to do this, get up and walk, take your pallet with you, go home. Listen to what Philip Yancey says on this point. He says that Jesus never met a disease he could not cure, a birth defect he could not reverse, A demon he could not exercise. But he did meet many skeptics. And some who heard Jesus' strongest words about grace and forgiveness that he came to bring. Turned away unrepentant. In other words, they didn't buy it. They saw even a dead man, rise. And they said, ah, this is just nonsense. We've got, to, we've got to get control of this. You see, they had a lot of notions about God. But vague notions of God and even being in awe of God are not the same thing As knowing and loving God, and that was their problem. John seventeen three tells us that. Now, kind of at this stop point. Jesus turns and says to them some very simple but profound words. Which is easier, guys? You're the the professors. You're the doctors. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk? Now, you know what just happened right there? Jesus raised the stakes way, way higher for them and for himself. Jesus raised the stakes by closing down all the other options. All the other ways that you could try to come at this, Jesus says, okay, because you could have somebody over there saying, "Well, I you know, it he he did say that, but maybe he maybe 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 he really didn't mean he made it crystal clear. You have one or two options. <laughs> Just like Lewis C.S. Lewis said, <laughs> you basically you, you only have three options when it comes to Jesus. He's either a nut job or he is a lunatic, I mean a lunatic, uh, a nut job, or he is a confused or a liar, or he is who he is, the Son of God. You don't have any other choices left to you. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying to them. Okay, which one, which one do you want me to do? Actually, he ends up doing both. But he, but he basically throws the, the question to them he raises the stakes. Jesus basically comes to the table and pulls in all his chips and slides them all in. But now he's basically saying that you guys are all in too. How are you going to respond? Listen to what Mike McKinley says it's a little bit long, but hang it. This is this is really good. The problem is that a claim to forgive sins cannot be verified empirically. You, you know that. In other words, you can't. You can't. Somebody, an idiot, could come up and say, "I can forgive your sins. They're forgiven. They're forgiven." Can your sins are forgiven? But you can't. Empirically verify that I really did forgive Ken's sins because you can't see that. So that's that's not that's the problem is that a claim to forgive sins cannot be verified empirically. There is no way to evaluate whether or not the paralyzed man was uh, has really been forgiven. Jesus knows their thoughts, though. And he wants the skeptics to know for certain that he has the authority to forgive sins, verse 24. And so he gives them a kind of proof that they can see by telling the man to get up and walk. It's an easier thing for someone to say, Your sins are forgiven, verse 23. It cannot be proven or disproven. But if someone says, get up and walk to a paralyzed man, it will quickly be evident to everyone whether or not they are a fraud. In other words, you can test that one. You can verify that one. Hey, he said, get up and walk to a paralyzed man. And look, he can't get up. He's a fraud. If he does get up, oh my goodness, we're in a new ball game. So, when Jesus tells the man, get up, take your mat, and go home, verse 24, he is offering proof that his words about the forgiveness of sins are valid also. The stakes could not have been higher. Either Jesus would be proved to be God in human flesh or he would be shown to be a blasphemer who claimed authority and that did not belong to him. When the man stood up and went home, verse 25, the truth was inescapable. Jesus has the authority that only God has, the authority to forgive People's sin. He covered both. And so the scribes and teachers of the law and the Pharisees all came up and said, Oh, Jesus, oh, i was so sorry. What, what numbskulls were you? You're so dumb. Why didn't we get that? Oh, I'm so sorry. No, they doubled down, as you'll see next week. If you think I'm being a little hard on them, stick around for there's more proof to come next week. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we often think that the things in this world are the most important things. And Father, you came to Send your son. You sent your son so that we could have an answer for the most important thing, the forgiveness of our sins. Father, thank you for sending your beloved son. Thank you that he has the authority. And one day we'll make all things true and real will bring all new things into a new heaven and earth in which there is no suffering of any kind. But Father, now, today, and those who believe in your Son and know Him, Father, we have the forgiveness of our sins because of what Jesus did. And we thank you and we praise you and exalt you today in Jesus' name. Let's stand together for our hymn.